Coffins Scarcely Used by Colin Watson. Dramatised for radio by Brian Wright. With Peter Jeffrey as Detective Inspector Purbright. For as much as it both pleased Almighty God of his great mercy to take unto himself the soul of our dear brother, Harold Arthur, here departed, we therefore commit his body to the ground. I'm convinced we can turn up evidence of fraud at Caravleet and Spade Limited. Uh, I hesitate to overrule you, Purbright, I really do. But now Harold Caravleet is dead and buried, I think we ought to drop this investigation. Yes, with the owner dead, his widow pleading complete ignorance, and the firm's books gone missing, it's not promising, I admit. What I do know is you could stir up a lot of unpleasantness and still get nowhere. Caravleet was a counsellor, J.P. Sponsor of good causes, fine war work in the docks, all that. But this is 1956, not 46. VE Day was 11 years ago, sir. I'm sorry, my mind is made up. Your decision, sir, of course. Excuse me. Inspector Purbright. Yes, Sergeant. Seen the Flaxborough citizen. They've given Holy Harry a great send-off. Holy Harry? Harold Carabley. That's his nickname down the docks, on account of his purge of the red light district, you know. <laughs> Listen to what it says here. Sergeant Love, as of now, the Carabley case is closed. By order of Chief Constable Sharp. Oh. Sorry to hear that, sir. Yeah. This'll be Holy Harry's epitaph, then. Respected citizen. Successful director of ships, brokers, blah, blah. Passionate concern for moral welfare. Who writes this stuff? The proprietor of the citizen, I expect, Marcus Gwill, who just happens to be Carableet's next-door neighbour and chum. Oh, like that, eh? Carableet and Gwill, all boys together. There he is, Constable. That's exactly where I found him, right under the pylon. Stone-cold dead. Well, what time was that? Oh, on my way back to the farm, about 20 minutes ago. It's Mr. Gwill. Mr. Gwill? He lives down at the Aspens, big oh. house down on Heston Lane. Poor old Mr. Gwill. Blow me a kiss from across the room Say I look nice when I'm not Touch my Oh, yes? Good day. I'm PC Wilkinson. May I come in for a moment? Oh, Mr. Gwill ain't here, I'm afraid. I know, Mrs. Paul. It's him I've come about. I'm sorry, he's had an accident. Accident? Oh, come in, come in. I knew something was wrong. The door wasn't locked when I came back this morning. I've been over to my sister's for the night, you see, and, and his bed weren't slept in neither. I knew I shouldn't have left him alone last night. Oh, excuse me, I'll just turn this off. What's happened? I'm afraid Mr. Gwill is dead. Oh, 
I shouldn't have left him. I shouldn't. Now, don't upset yourself, Mrs. Poole. Would you happen to know the name of your employer's next of kin? I need to make a phone call. I'm sorry to bother you at your place of work, Mr. Lintz, but I have to inform you that we'll require a formal identification of your uncle's body later today. Oh, yes, yes. Of course, Inspector. As editor of The Citizen, I suppose you saw quite a lot of each other. Every day, usually. You see, what I'm looking for, Mr. Lintz, is an explanation of why your uncle, Mr. Marcus Gwill, went out last night. He fancied a little walk across the fields, do you imagine? In his slippers, in December? Yes, that is curious, isn't it? In here, Inspector. Uh, please, take a seat. Yeah, thank you. If I had occasion to walk down the drive of the Aspins and cross Heston Lane and then climb a railing and go 20 yards over a field before apparently clambering up an electricity pylon, I really believe I'd put my boots on first. Still, gentlemen can do rather eccentric things when the mood takes them. My uncle was not an eccentric. He managed to make too much money for that. I imagine you will have no cause to regret his good business sense. Ah, I suppose I am his heir. I really haven't thought about the will. Of course not. When was it you last saw your uncle alive, Mr. Lintz? Uh, about six o'clock. I, I drove him back to Heston Lane. How did he strike you then? Same as usual. I didn't notice anything wrong. Had he been depressed or worried? If he had, he didn't confide in me. Well, things run pretty smoothly here. No bereavements of any kind, relatives or friends. Not that I know of. His neighbour, Mr. Carobleet, died about six months ago. Were they at all friendly? They were neighbourly, I believe. Nothing beyond that? I really don't know, Inspector. Uh, Mr. Carabreet's widow still lives next door. You could ask her. Yes. Do you think your Uncle Marcus's housekeeper might be of some help? No, I doubt it. She's not very bright and she dabbles in spiritualism. She's convinced that the house is haunted. Spooky place, Sarge, you've got to admit. Mm. Oh, I'm bloody cold, too. Uh, anything else? We ought to measure the height of that cable arm. Climb up like old Gwill. Let's call it 25 feet, shall <laughs> we? Yeah, no. 27. Mm. That'll sound as if we really know. Oh, uh, afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, Sid. Nothing doing round here? What had you in mind, sir? Cloth fibres, nail pairings, you know. Detective Constable Harper here found a couple of marshmallows. Marshmallows? Mr. Gwill had a bag of them in his pocket, sir. Oh, we're about finished. Oh, fine. I'm on my way down to the house. Doesn't look too inviting a place, does it? Probably explains its reputation. Harper's just been telling me. Funny old Gwill believe in it, though. How do you mean? Oh, country gossip, sir. Some of the locals have had the notion for a while now that there was a ghost lurking about outside Goyle's house. Oh, well, it sounds daft, and I wouldn't repeat it, but uh, a cousin of mine happened to be cycling back from town just before 12 last night, and he saw Mr Gwill splashing water about on the ground from a big can or something, just inside those big raw iron gates. Oh, it was dark, mind you, but he was pretty sure that's what he was doing. And what did your cousin make of that? Well, it sounds silly, but... Uh, Holy water. Some sort of ritual, he thought. Poor Mr. Gwill was being pestered, sir. And that's the top and bottom of it. Pestered? By whom, Mrs. Poole? Well, no one you could lay your hands on, sir. But there are such things. 
although they took a bit of understanding. Well, how did this pestering affect Mr Gwill? He was very unsettled, sir, and he'd always been a quiet sort, dignified, you know. Yes. So it showed. And when did you first notice this influence? Oh, I can tell you to the day. It all started a month after Mr Carablate next door was put in his grave. I understand they were friends. Oh, please, sir, I don't want to talk about it any more. What is it you're frightened of, Mrs Poole? Well, nothing. Not now. I think it's over, but I don't want to talk about it. Tell me, did Mr Gwill have any regular visitors of an evening? Well, only the people you'd expect. Uh, Mr Lint sometimes, but not for meals. Uh, Dr Hilliard, his doctor, came. Was Mr Gwill having treatment? No, not as far as I know. Uh, the doctor came to dinner, usually. Oh, and Mr Gloss, occasionally, the solicitor gentleman. Mm. Sometimes I'd serve for him, the doctor, and, yes, Mr Bradlaw, the builder, and, um, you know. Undertaker, yes, I know. So those three gentlemen were personal as well as professional friends. Mr Bradlaw, Dr Hilliard, and... Mr Gloss. Yes, sir. Yes. I wonder if you mind very much by taking a quick look round the house. You're the police. You're welcome to say what you've a mind to. Mr Gloss, I'm astounded. I really am. If you have reason to suspect that a crime has been committed, your duty is to help the police in whatever way you can. My dear Chief Constable, that is just the point. The situation is such that I can give precious little information. That is why I've taken the liberty of calling on you privately at your home. As a solicitor, I am perfectly well aware of what citizens are supposed to do, and how seldom they do it, and how little the police can do to make them. Look here, sir, let's not beat about the bush. My lunch is waiting. You suppose Marcus Gwill to have been murdered, is that it? It is. Oh, but that's absurd. I am Mr Gwill's solicitor. Surely it carries some weight. I tell you that he was not without enemies. Well, few of us are. I might also add, my motives for approaching you are not entirely altruistic. You see, I am not confident that my own safety is henceforth assured. <sighs> Look now, Mr Gloss, why don't you tell me what this is all about? Who exactly is threatening you? Please believe me when I say it is no one against whom you could possibly take direct action. Mr Gwill's study. Yes, not what you might call a cosy room. Uh, next door, seem to think so. Ah, Mrs Carablete was also a friend. I can't say. She visited once a week. And not for dinner. Well, if she came in here, perhaps it was partly for business reasons. I don't know why she came. I kept out of the way. Yes, well, I'll ask you myself. You I'm won't myself. find her in. She went off in a taxi yesterday morning. Yes, yes thank you, Mrs Poole. Well, that's mostly newspaper stuff there. Yes, what, why all these? You look like adverts from the citizen. Yes, I know. Was Mr Gwill interested in buying and selling antique furniture? Not especially. That's very odd. Will they be bringing him home, sir? Not if you don't want that. And certainly not today. A post-mortem examination has to be made. Here's the post-mortem report, Sarge. Oh, thanks, Wilkes. 
Uh, you're good on the local knobs. What do you know about old Gwil? Kept very much to himself. Nobody liked him much. Oh, time of death, 12.10. Just after midnight. It's got to be ghosts. Dear old Lord. What? Left palm exhibited a transverse burn three quarters of an inch wide and three inches long. On palm of right hand, a burn mark, star or flower shape. Clearly defined, approximately two and a half inches in diameter. What have you got there, Sergeant? Autopsy results, sir. Any news on the Heston Lane ghostie? I wouldn't write him off yet. I don't go, Wilkes. Let me see that report. Sir, uh, PC Wilkinson was just saying nobody liked Gwill. Hmm. I do like a big field of suspects. You're not saying he's murder. Well, if I had any doubt, this bit here about the March Mallows would convince me. Teeth caked with the stuff, apparently. Sir, the report confirms he was electrocuted. Yes, he was, but I've never encountered a suicide who's been in the mood for confectionery at the last moment. And I've yet to find a man of Gwill's age who can clamber up pylons in the middle of the night with his mouth full of sticky marshmallows. No injury or mark on body apart from burns. Well, how the hell could he have fallen then? But he had to be up there or he couldn't have been electrocuted. I wonder. Tell me, do the electricity board decorate their pylons with ornamental stars or flowers these days? Not that I know. Oh, see what you mean, the burn mark on the right palm. But yeah. <laughs> where, if not at the pylon? Well, first find your star or flower-shaped electrode. You better ask Forensic for a photograph of those burns. Can't have been far from Gwill's house. He was in his slippers. And he was seen alive just before 12 by Harper's cousin. Baptising his driveway against spirits. Do what? <laughs> Never mind the eccentricities for a moment, Sid. Let's start from the sound assumption that people seldom get themselves murdered by complete strangers. Wilkes, I want you and Harper on the knocker down Heston Lane this afternoon. Right, sir. And gently, does it? This is Flaxborough, not Chicago, Illinois. Flaxborough isn't designed to cope with murder any more than that municipal building is designed to cope with earthquakes. This crime is out of context. For one thing, it's cleverness. Gwill wasn't forced to grasp whatever electrocuted him. He suspected nothing. Was his murderer a friend or a relative? He seems to have had an almost Edwardian penchant for entertaining professionals. He was the client of one guest, the patient of another, the potential customer of the third. No, there need be nothing sinister in the association, of course. Three well-to-do friends. Four, presumably, until Harold Carableet died. Oh, talk of the devil. Good afternoon, Mrs. Carableet. Oh, hello, Inspector. I was hoping to have a word. You've been away. Yes, I've just got back from Shropshire. Did you want to speak to me particularly? Oh, it's not that business about my husband's firm again. Uh, no, no, not that. Where did you spend last night, Mrs. Carableet? Oh, this is something new. May I ask why you want to know? Your next-door neighbour was murdered last night. Not Marcus. Murdered? Marcus? Mr. Gwill, yes. But that's... that's extraordinary. Are you sure? If I weren't sure, I'd scarcely be running around asking questions. Oh, no, of course not. That was silly of me, but... But it, it came as such a surprise. I fancy Mr. Gwill was surprised, too. Oh, it's dreadful, isn't it? Dreadful. I was wondering if you might have anything helpful to tell me. I really can't see what you think I might know about it. 
Where did you spend last night? At the brink of discovery. Uh, I beg your pardon? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a geographical joke. The Brink of Discovery is a pub, a small hotel, rather, on the far side of Shrewsbury. Would you happen to have the bill? Oh, really, Inspector, I... Well, uh, Yeah. Any particular reason for the visit? Mm, I often go down there. The West Country used to be my home. I need a change occasionally from this marsh of a place. Thank you. Rather expensive. My husband left me adequately provided. Mm, I suppose he did. What what was the purpose of your weekly visits to Mr. Gwill? Well, who says I... Oh, you've been talking to Prowler Poole. Well, I, I did pop in occasionally to keep him company. The two of you didn't happen to share an interest in antique furniture. What? Never mind. Ah, good afternoon to you, Mrs. Carablet. Oh, hello, Rupert. Uh, Inspector, this is Dr. Hilliard, Inspector Purbright. But you possibly know each other already. Only by reputation. Yes, a shocking day, Inspector, shocking. You have been kept busy and out of mischief, lady, I trust? I am at present being tactfully helpful to the police. <laughs> Excellent. Though tact is not always what helps policemen, surely. Discretion can be pursued too far. <laughs> yes, Inspector? I'm sure your patient would not take anything too far. My patient? Oh, forgive me. It was the late Mr. Carabley you attended, not his wife, wasn't it? Aye, God rest his soul. It's God rest Marcus Gwill's soul now, Doctor. Well, as to that, lady, if his sentiment does you credit, yes, it does indeed. I gather you were a friend of Mr. Gwill's. He was a patient of mine, and a very careful man. He'd need to be. <laughs> you hear that for the wee buddy? Oh, for heaven's <clears throat> sake, drop that phony Scottishry, Rupert. Well, I must be getting along. I'll come and see you sometime, if I may, Mrs. Carabate. Of course. Bye for now, Doctor. You've got the devil of a nerve showing your face here today. I don't follow you. Oh, no? You'll not get away with this, my lovely. Tell that to who it may concern. You can? I don't know what Flaxborough's coming to, Purbright. I blame it on the television. A murder on our hands, that's bad enough. But a professional man, a member of the country club, sitting in my own drawing room and begging me for police protection. Police protection? You couldn't give it to him, of course. Oh, of course not. That sort of thing isn't available on demand, just like that. I've seen Gloss in court. He wouldn't frighten easily. I'll have a word with him later on, sir. If he really is nervous, he'll probably be more forthcoming after a night or two listening to creaking floorboards. Damn it all, old Gwill wasn't the sort of fellow you expect to get murdered. Why? Well, his nephew George Lintz has something to gain. And then there's a rather curious relationship between Gwill and the Carableet woman. Good Lord, old Gwill, the world's gone mad. You remember the Carableet affair, sir? Now you're not dragging that old case up. It's rather dragged itself up. Carableet and Gwill. Two friends and neighbours, local dignitaries, one dead while still under investigation, the other murdered in mysterious circumstances. And now they'll lie side by side in Heston Cemetery, just as they lived side by side in Heston Lane. Shut the gate then, lad. All right, nag, nag. What was it like in there? Better. Got a cup of tea there. Oh, lucky devil. Got anything else? list of people who might have been at Gwill's place after midnight? Oh, don't talk wet. These people all sink into a coma around eight. Oh, no, Harpy. The nice lady just told me her daughter was out at a dance or something. 
and she was so scared she'd come back ruined. Every time she heard anyone come from town, she popped down to the gate to see if it was the daughter. <laughs> Who exactly did she see? Um, Morris Hoylake on bicycle. No, that's my cousin. Purbright knows already. Girl in hurry wearing fur-trimmed coat. Dr Hilliard, well-off man in Trilby Hat who visited Mr Will regular. Lady with... All right, all right. I've got one old insomniac who remembers a black van driving by. <laughs> Nearly ran over a pussy cat or so, she says. <laughs> Round about midnight. She thinks it came back towards town later. Oh, to finish off the cat, obviously. How many horses to do? Mm, a dozen or so. Sexton Blake never did it like this. I'm out to go a-wandering along the mountain track And as I go I love to sing my knapsack on my flag Still here, sir? Oh, what's that? You tell me. It belonged to old Marcus. An album. <laughs> Funny sort of hobby. It's all furniture adverts. Why? We'll ask our friend, the editor. How'd you get on with Lynch's wife, by the way? Uh, <clears throat> I, Gladys Lintz, I'm a married woman and 41 years of age. I reside with my husband, George, in a nice house and already have a cocktail cabinet, a free pass to the Odeon, two beautiful children and the telly. What kill old Uncle Marcus? Why should I? I was a land girl in the war. Quiet. Now tell me what you said without meaning to. Uh, one, she thinks the undertaker, Jonas Bradlaw, did it. Mm -hmm. Two, she suspected Gwill of making money on the side. How? Buying and selling antiques? She hadn't a clue. Any reason why she didn't like old Nab Bradlaw? Well, she said it was Gwill who didn't like him. Uh, Uncle once said something about uh, fixing Nab Bradlaw if he'd a mind to. Sounded like a threat. When was this threat made? Oh, uh, several months ago. Uh, but the remark stuck in her mind. It's a very narrow mind. A murdering undertaker. Sounds too good to be true. Ah, Mr. Bradlaw, come in. Sorry to keep you waiting. Good evening, Doctor. You're not ill, I take it. No. Glad to see you. Well? Will you take a dram? Now, this whole damn thing will have to be dropped for the time being, Doc. It cannot and needn't be. Get that into your head, Bradlaw. We can build it up later when the fuss has died down. What's running smoothly now will have to be kept running or abandoned altogether. And I'll not see that happen after what we've put into it. But the police... The police. And what will they do? Run round in ever-decreasing circles until they become their own colonic stoppages. Provided that you and I and Roddy Gloss remain helpfully obscure and unproductively cooperative, the police can do nothing. Roddy Gloss is just a shade too clever sometimes. Keeping up with him can be dodgy. Ah, stop frightening yourself, Bradlaw. Marcus asked for what he got. By God, he did, but it can't be left at that. Uh, the police aren't the problem. Eh? There's a certain person we need to find, and quickly. Look, there's only one way to do it. A patient of mine, one of the more grateful ones. She works at the telephone exchange and is in the right place. Flaxper 241. Oh, darling, I'm glad you rang. Something terrible's happened here, though it may have its... You know? How? Well, it's not in the national papers yet, is it? 
What? Yes. That Inspector Purbright has spoken to me. He's seeing me again sometime. Oh, no, of course not. I'll act like a cat, though the very idea makes me... Ugh. Oh, yes, I miss you too. But we'd better not visit for a while. It's not safe. Hmm. Shall I get in touch with them? Hilliard's been making innuendos. No, all right. They are innuendos, darling, aren't they? Darling? Darling. Here. This statement should save time for both of us, Inspector. Very thoughtful of you, Mr. Lynch. Yes, this is all rather terrible. I felt sure it was suicide. Uh, you will find that I managed to spend all last night in the company of witnesses, I'm glad to say. Yeah, so I see. I can't imagine any more respectable midnight occupation than playing chess with an undertaker. Perhaps if you just sign this, sir. Mm. Now, it's press day tomorrow and I'm very busy, as you can see. There are no more questions, I presume? Only this, sir. This? It's my uncle's, isn't it? Yes, an album of small ads. Doesn't make much sense to us. No. Matter of fact, I've been rather puzzled about these myself. I came across them some months ago. Is there anything peculiar about the adverts themselves? Well, not exactly commoner garden offers. Antiques aren't in my line. Were they in Mr Gwell's? Not to my knowledge. That's what puzzled me. Uh, look, we'd better have young House up here. He handles the advertising. Incidentally, this week's edition, can my reporter include an official police statement in his account of Uncle's death? Oh, House, can you spare a moment? Your paper can use all the facts as you know them, Mr Lynch. But I'd like you to add this, though. Say the police are anxious to hear from anyone who was out in the Heston Lane area on Monday night after 11.30. We'd also like a word with the driver of a black van. Went up from town just before 12, returned about half an hour later. Right, I'll make a note of that. Ah, House, uh, this is Inspector Purbright. Evening, sir. It's to do with Mr Gwill. Sir? Can you identify the small ads in this album? These? They're all for sales that Mr. Will brought in himself. None of the ordinary ads have letters as well as figures in the box references. We used to sort out the replies and put them directly through to the boss. Were those his instructions? They were. There's four new ones for this edition. He gave them in before... before... Uh, yes, quite. Uh, similar sorts of antique items? Identical, now you come to mention it. Antique lampstands, a tankard, sideboard. Why do you suppose Mr. Gwill was putting these adverts in the paper? Did you never wonder? Well, I thought perhaps he had a friend in the second-hand trade. Hmm. You've no idea who this other person might have been? No. And I presume you never saw the replies? Me? No. Mr. Gwill never left them lying about. Uh, I'd be obliged if you and Mr. Lynch would make certain all the replies from the new adverts are given direct to me. Sir. As you wish. Don't allow them out of your hands. I think that may be important. Telephone me as soon as anything arrives. And now I'll let you put your paper to bed and away to mine. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, the inquest has been postponed, I take it? Yes, but you can go ahead with the funeral arrangements now. I've already spoken to Mr. Bradlaw. Yes, I expect you have. How's the missus, Ben? Hey, oh... Better, thanks, Mr. Bradlaw. Nice board, this, Ben. Take the beading over the knot. This is a five-star job. It's for Mr. Gwill. Oh. oh, a couple of blokes waiting in the office, boss. All oh, right. Uh, 
Oh, I've been expecting them. So now, you were definitely with George Lintz all Monday night, say nine till two? First at the country club and then back here? Oh, yes. Uh, except when he was out in the yard, of course. In the yard? Well, he wanted some air, he said. Uh, he went out and I just fell fast asleep. And he had to wake me up to get in again. Oh, it's, it's bloody tiring, you know, playing chess. Yeah, so you don't know how long he was out? Not really. Uh, well, it can't have been long. Too cold. Was his car outside? Um, no. We'd come back in my van. <laughs> You're not suggesting. Well, now you see what nasty people policemen can be. You visited Gwill pretty regularly, didn't you? Now and again. Yeah, he didn't play chess, I suppose. Good, <laughs> you're in a gripey mood. Anyone would think you suspected me. Why did you go to see him? <laughs> Just to be sociable. I'm a steady advertiser. He didn't give dinner parties to all his advertisers, surely. Who else went with you? Ooh, Rodney Gloss was there sometimes. Um, Doc Hilliard, too, occasionally. Doctors and solicitors aren't allowed to advertise, though, are they? Mm, true. What about Harold Carabli? Well, what about him? He's dead. Yeah, that's all right. I just wanted a general picture. Oh, anything else you wanted to know? Just two things. What other business was old Gwill mixed up in apart from his paper? I haven't the faintest idea. Lastly, then, what was his relationship with Mrs. Carableet? I only know what other people say, and that doesn't signify. Oh, you should hear what someone minted about my housekeeper. <laughs> you need a chaperone to measure a stiff in this town. <laughs> Very trying for you, Nab. We'll go out through the back, if you don't mind. Don't give way like poor old Gloss. Hey, what, what the hell are you getting at? Who the hell's getting at Gloss? That's the question, Nab. There's a nice glass of coffee in bed. Oh, well, it's not every week we bury a newspaper editor. It's photo took this one, you see. Yeah, is that Mr. Bradlaw's van outside? Black one, yeah. Oh, it's not Park Dangerous, is it? We'll check. Come on, Sergeant. Sir. Hoppers. Cheers, Sid. Didn't know you were a member of the country club, sir. I'm not, but the doorman thinks I am. Mr. Chubb brought me here once. <laughs> so, according to the steward, Bradlaw is a big drinker. Lintz pukes on a pint. He picked his way out of here on Monday night like a deep-sea diver. Nab was steering him, cold sober. Which means it's possible Bradlaw knew what was going to happen and felt in need of an alibi. An alibi? Is that what you made of his story? Well... It was thin. Yeah, it was very. Bradlaw and Lintz could have cooked it up between them. But he was smart enough to leave a hole in his story notice. The stuff about Lintz in the yard, about falling asleep and so on. Sure is way to put George Lintz under suspicion. Aren't we giving uh, Bradlaw too much credit for cunning? You may not be acting alone. Hilliard was seen in Heston Lane, plus another of Gwill's regular visitors, unnamed. Yeah, that probably means gloss. Mm. But suppose we can prove Nab took his van down there and back. Why should he want to murder Gwill? Well, by the look of his workshop, he can't be so short of trade he has to provide it himself. Whoever did it, we still don't know how it was done, sir. Oh, I think we know more or less how, Sid, but not where. Here, you and Harper take this sketch back to Gwill's place and see what you can find. Pretty. A daffodil. Yeah. The original snapshot from Forensic would frighten the life out of old Mother Poole. This is what Gwill grabbed the other night. Unsuspectingly. You want a metal object, same shape and size, that could have been connected to mains or cable. 
Weird. Could there be anything in that ghost story? Some kind of ritual? It made a ghost of Gwyll quickly enough. I don't know, this is such a complicated crime, Sid. Unnecessarily complicated. Heaving that body up to the pylon would have been too much for one person, surely. Back to Nab's pals, Hilliard and Gloss again. Yes, and also, incidentally, or is it incidental, friends of the late Harold Carableet. Is Mrs. Carableet still thick with them, you reckon? I got the impression Hilliard loads her guts. But there was something between her and Gwilt, something, something she doesn't want revealed. Include her house in the Daffodil Hunt. Sir. Make it sound routine, hmm? rather dull, you know, Mr. Policeman, Toy Town. It's a sad, cold house, Mr. Love, whether he's here or not. Mr. Gwill, you mean? No, him. You know. Ah. I expect he's at rest now, Mrs. Paul. No, not him. His hair kept growing, you know. You never think of it growing afterwards, do you? No, Mrs. Paul. Uh, afterwards? Uh, after they're passed on, Sarge. Uh, the next world. Oh, uh, <clears throat> uh, Mrs. Poole, uh, you see this drawing here? Uh, is it a flower? Yes. Tell me, does it remind you of any metal object or fitment around the house? Well, I've seen something like it, but where I can't think. Outside, maybe? Don't think so. By the way, Mrs. Paul, where is your electric meter? Uh, in there, under the stairs. It was only red last week. Oh, just checking the fuses. Just the light switch, is it? Uh, yeah. Faraday must have installed this lot. Right. Bit short on power points. Uh, reel of wire, yes, Sarge? Bell wire. No good for the mains. Come on, it's daffodil time. Scream if you see the ghost. She's been frightened by something, Sarge. That's obvious. She's not the only one. Cosy office you have, Mr. Gloss. It serves. Now, what would you like to know, Inspector? I'd like to know about Mr. Gwill. Marcus Gwill was not altogether of an amenable disposition, Inspector. Tell me... Are you aware of any occupation, any source of income of Mr. Gwill's, apart from his ownership of the Flaxborough Citizen Printing and Publishing Company? Hmm. The answer must be no, Inspector. Not that the bare negative is incapable of qualification, but in the context of a police investigation, it will serve. If I were of an uncharitable disposition, I might take that to be a roundabout way of saying that your client's sudden departure has left some money lying around that isn't strictly accounted for. Upon my soul, but you're a perceptive fellow, Inspector. Mm. Gentlemen in commerce are naturally concerned to meet the contingencies of our times, taxation and so forth. Marcus often boasted of supplements to his means, although as far as I have been able to check, they were not spectacular. Well, don't misunderstand me. They represent no part of the money that has accrued from his publishing business. Can you tell me what they do represent? No. I'm afraid I cannot help you there. Hmm. Well, perhaps you care to provide me with the name of Mr. Gwill's bankers. I can readily ascertain this, of course. Eastern Provinces, Flaxborough branch. It is my private belief that these supplements were obtained by means of questionable legality. What they were, I do not know and I do not wish to know. But some months ago, I noticed a change in Marcus' manner. He became more excited, 
yet there was an element of fear in his excitement. I received the impression that some third person was being deprived of a share in the gains, and my client's sense of elation came from his discomfiture. His? Or hers, of course. Why not? Why not a woman? Well, all right, if you must. I don't know what you expect to find in my house, but I have no objection. Come in. Very kind of you, Mrs. Carableet. Thank you, ma'am. You see, uh, you were away on the night that... Um... Mr. Gwell was murdered, yes. Beg pardon, ma'am. Uh, I know you were rather close to the gentleman. What if I was? Uh, no offence, ma'am. The point is, the house was empty. Yes. Anna, the girl who cleans for me, had three days off. Ah, then someone else might have been here. Someone else? An intruder. Uh, no signs of a break-in, ma'am. No, of course not. Nobody else with a spare key, perhaps. Anna doesn't have one, no. Well, now, Mrs. Carableet, this is what we're interested in, mainly. Is this a joke? <laughs> Wish it were, ma'am. This daffodil is deadly. I'm convinced of it, Inspector. For reasons best known to himself, Marcus conveyed a false impression of his relationship with me, his legal adviser. He implied that I had been given custody of monies Marcus had deprived some third party of. But why should Mr. Gwill imply such a thing? To forestall any direct or violent attempt to recover the said monies, perhaps. As it turns out, the rules did not save him from the revenge of this unknown person, his or hers, as the case may be. And you? Do you still feel yourself under threat? Oh, yes. I ask you to believe that, if nothing else. I'll bet it's mine, Mr. Gloss. Now, I wonder if you care to tell me where you were last Monday night. Last Monday? Last Monday? The night Gwill died. Ah, curiously enough, Inspector, I spent Monday evening at the home of Marcus Gwill and stayed until after he was dead. I see. Would you think me facetious if I were to ask if you killed him? Not at all. A very proper question in the circumstances. But I'm afraid my answer will not help you very much. It is no. I rather thought you'd say that, sir. All the same, I really must take a statement after what you've just said. Naturally. In fact, I have given the matter some thought. Naturally. Off you go then, Mr Gloss. Late on Monday night, it must have been approximately 11.15, Marcus Gwill telephoned me and intimated that there was a matter of some urgency he wished to discuss. Am I going too fast for you, Inspector? No, thanks. My shorthand's been honed on talkative criminals. Indeed. I left home and walked along Heston Lane. It would be about a quarter to twelve when I arrived at Gwill's house. Another acquaintance was already there in the drawing room, the Scotsman, Dot Hilliard, whom you probably know. I concluded some sort of conference was intended. Hilliard was seated by the fire, drinking a glass of whisky. Gwill fetched a glass for me. He was an abstainer, you know. But he was chewing, as usual. Adult sweet-eaters invariably annoy me. So furtively self-indulgent. Uh, is this part of the statement? I mentioned the chewing and my irritation because it explains why I can tell you very little of something significant that occurred next. Which was? The telephone rang and Gwill took the call there in the drawing room. However, I was so preoccupied with the appalling way his mastication moved the mouthpiece up and down, I failed to take in the conversation. But it was very brief. He put the receiver down, mumbled something about being back in a few minutes and hastened out of the house. He did not come back, and I never saw him again. Hilliard and I waited for perhaps half an hour. Then we left the house and walked to our respective homes. There seemed nothing more practical to do. Yes. 
Uh, Mr. Gloss, you must be aware that either you or Dr. Hilliard or both should have told us this at once. Of course. Dr. Hilliard left the matter in my hands as his legal advisor. You will wish to see him, no doubt, but I have a signed statement from him here. Uh, the delay was occasioned by concern for my own safety and a professional reluctance to reveal confidential information. Very well, Mr. Gloss. Did you lock the door of the house when you left? No, we weren't sure he had taken his key. You felt no anxiety on his behalf, other than being worried about locking him out? None. We both took it for granted he was visiting some neighbour or relative, perhaps. You didn't happen to see Mr George Lintz at or near his uncle's house last Monday night, by any chance? No. As you must have judged from the fact that I made no mention of him in my account of what transpired. Quite. Was Mr Jonas Bradlaugh at the house? Not while I was there. Hmm. One last question then, Mr Gloss. Did you notice if Mr Gwill took a bucket or can of water down the drive on Monday night. Water? No. What on earth could he have been doing with a bucket of water? What indeed? Flaxborough 241. Oh, I wasn't expecting you. Sorry, darling, I was in the kitchen. Yes, they came this afternoon. No, not Purbright. Routine. One of those PC plod types. Something silly about daffodil designs and fuse boxes. Look, darling, if you're mixed up in this Marcus affair, I wish you'd tell me. But will it ever be finished? Will it? Yes, I'm listening. Come on. Come in. Ah, hello, House. Those replies to the box numbers have arrived. Good. How many? More than usual. Fourteen. Right. I'm taking them over to the inspector now. I'd like you to escort me. Yes, Miss Lentz. Um, any particular reason? The inspector obviously intended you to keep an eye on me. Sir? Didn't you know I was under suspicion of murder? Yes, Sergeant. Send them straight up. Put the kettle on, sit, and stand by for steaming envelopes, sir. If Lintz was involved, he'd have used his position as editor to squash the whole thing somehow. Well, the box numbers may have nothing to do with the murder, of course, so that doesn't rule him out. No, though it's in his favour that both Bradlaugh and Gloss tried to set him up, I think. You don't believe Gloss's story? Mm, not to a point. He's too frank. A murderer or his accomplice wouldn't have mentioned those marshmallows, for instance. Not unless it were an essential part of his alibi or self-justification. Why not? Well, because it's one of those pathetic little details about his victim a murderer prefers to forget. But they were all there that night, I'm sure. Gwill, Gloss, Hilliard. And I'd be much surprised if Bradlaugh wasn't as well. They were in something or other together. And on Monday night, an emergency conference became necessary. Either that or the three of them went there by arrangement to put Gwill out of the way. With a daffodil we can't find. Seems a very uncertain way of doing someone in, doesn't it? Well, not really. A shot of mains current could be just as effective as a cannonball. A bath is a classic case. You see, you have to make sure your victim is... Nicely earthed. Something wrong, sir? No, nothing. Uh, did Operation Daffodil extend to the grounds yesterday? No, it didn't seem... Ah, Mr Lentz, Mr House, take a seat. Kettle's on, we can have tea and open those letters at the same time. Yes, sir, in 
response to your ad, I shall be pleased to call Tuesday at 7.45pm to see goods as specified, bracket, Japanese antique newel ebony, and enclose cash entitling me to first refusal of same. If inconvenient, kindly send card. Yours faithfully, H.L. Bird. I wish to inspect goods on Thursday evening at 8 sharp. Deposit herewith, for preference, superior antique lampstand, but will consider Japanese antique. The mahogany antique beach sideboard. Deposit of eight pounds enclosed. Yours respectfully, Herbert Stamper. Quite a social register. Two councillors, an alderman, retailers, estate agents, a dealer in farm machinery. One or two hiding behind false names, apparently, but pretty half-hearted deceptions, and most of the addresses are real enough. It's curious. I'd never have suspected some of them of an interest in antiques, I must say. The money side's a bit odd, too. Yes, indeed. Always eight pounds. Anyhow, I've tabulated the 14 replies here. You can reseal the money and letters in the envelopes and return them to their postbox, Mr. House. I suppose someone calls for them. Well, ask your staff to hand them over in the usual way and make a note of whoever it was. Well, I think that's all, gentlemen. Well, the sooner this thing is solved, the better. I'm very grateful to you for your cooperation, Mr. Lint. Inspector. I think we're losing a suspect. I'm gaining 14. Oh, I doubt it. No one puts deposits on things they haven't seen. This antique business of Gwills, whatever it is, is shady. These respectable citizens must know that. Yeah, they pass cash over mostly genuine signatures and under entirely genuine addresses. Why? Suggests confidence, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, you're right. This means of communication, doing business or whatever, has been used for some time. They trust it. All the time is given are in the evening this week. Notice? Seven till nine. Recognised antique viewing hours, perhaps? <laughs> what is an antique Japanese newel, for pity's sake? A newel is a post, something to do with the staircase. Yeah, well, there's quite a number interested in those. An old, flourishing Japanese industry. No, wait, here's an Egyptian newel inlaid dodecahedronic. Bloody hell. A twelve-sided newel. I mean, it's ridiculous. These boys aren't after antiques. I bet you they couldn't tell a Queen Anne leg from a barmaid's elbow. Is it a code, sir? A robbery split twelve ways. Oh, ingenious, is. And superior antique lampstand... I don't know. Uh, well, try other words with the same initials. Uh, S-A-L, uh, smash and... Uh... Language? What about swipe auntie's laundry? Well, <laughs> all right. How about blackmail? Oh, Sid. Well, these people are all well off and respectable. Two of them are on the council. Yes, nine are members of the country club. But so is the chief constable. <clears throat> it was blackmail, Sid. And if Gwill was the blackmailer, there'd be no eight quidzes today. With Gwill dead, they'd all be celebrating the closing of the account. But they might not have known who was blackmailing them. That's the beauty of a box number. That's true. But why all this appointment business after the money had been handed over? OK, then. Only one thing to do. Pull in a couple of these characters and drag it out of them. Mm, not just yet. No, here's a better idea. Choose one of this lot who doesn't know you and follow him on the day of his appointment. You and Harper. Follow him all day? In this weather? Well, he's not likely to call and tell you how and where he's ready to go newel viewing, is he? I suppose he knows himself. You can borrow the Hillman, but don't park it without lights or anything. The police in this town are bastards. You're telling me. <laughs> Come on, Sid, cheer up. I think I've got a present for you. 
What? A daffodil. Look here, Sid. The handle on the gate. Daffodils. Yeah, I see. Oh, it's a nice bit of wrought ironwork, actually. Does this make it suicide after all, sir? I mean, if Gwill was seen splashing water about down here... Someone assumed to be Gwill, I think. It was dark, remember? Oh, an electric lead would have been clipped up here somewhere. They'd have run it along that hedge, most like. Mm. Couldn't have been spotted in the dark. No, probably not in daylight. And the question is, from which house? I think Mrs. Cannableach, most likely. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well. Hold on. What's that through the hedge? Look, something yellow. Yeah. Let's see. I can just about... There, here we are. Scrap of adhesive tape. Some printing on it. Something well limited. I.O. and TV. Radio shop, I suppose. Yeah. Something D.L.O.W. That's got to be Ludlow. Where? Shropshire, Sid. Yeah, rings a bell. Uh... Yeah, right, the widow's rural retreat. Hi. Time to ask Mrs. C a few more questions, eh? Well, not quite. We want a few more answers first. Yes. Yes. That's the spot. That's where I saw him the last time. Good morning, Mrs. Poole. Early on it was, just light. He was standing right here. That morning I went to my sister's. Right here, you say? He was never very far away, I think. He'd look after the window sometimes, and there he was. Uh, what was he doing that last time? Fixing up his wireless. To hear what was going on, I suppose. Things don't stop afterwards. No, they don't. That's why the hair keeps growing, I expect. The hair? Ah, uh, yes, uh, Mrs. Poole mentioned it to me yesterday. What hair, Mrs. Poole? Uh, round his face, like. Round his A beard? Who was it you saw, Mrs. Poole? Who was it? I thought you knew. I thought you understood. Now, look, are you sure it was a man? Absolutely certain? Uh, goodbye, sir. I'll tell Mr. Gwell you called. Oh. He keeps rather to himself these days. Damn. I don't honestly think the poor woman knows what she's talking about, sir. No, Sid, but somebody does. Are you with me? When? Day after tomorrow. Oh, what about Gloss? No, we don't want Roddy on a jaunt like this. Are you sure you can find the place? I'm confident. We know the number of the call box. We can find it from there. Wouldn't it be better to wait until she goes again and follow her? We can't afford to sit around waiting. No. no I haven't slept for three days, you know that. <laughs> you must let me prescribe you something. Or would you like an appointment to inspect a superior antique lampstand? None whatsoever. As his bank manager, I would certainly have been aware if Mr. Gwilder had any interest in the sale or purchase of antiques. Well, that seems clear enough, Pamright. Yeah, but he was receiving money from some unspecified source, Mr. Smith. Mm, without doubt. Have you any impression what that source was? Unfortunately, no. Because the money was deposited in cash? <laughs> there are, as they say, no flies on you, Inspector. Well, thank you for your cooperation, Percy. <laughs> we must make up a Ford Bridge sometime. 
I uh, take it you have no more questions, Barbara. To sum up, except for that one anomaly, there was nothing unusual about Mr. Gwill's account? Nothing? Yeah, unless you count the will, of course. The will? Which will? Oh, another good client of ours. The late Councillor Carableed's bequest. I say, good Lord. But, Mr. Smith, surely Mr. Carableed left a widow. Ah, yes, a peculiar circumstance, that. Uh, but the will was quite explicitly in Mr. Gwill's favour and that of certain other beneficiaries. The widow never made a challenge. A matter of, oh, some 18,000 pounds. Eighty? Will away your money over your wife's head? It simply isn't done. Mrs. Carableet presumably had good reason not to contest such a will. Well, there was a substantial sum in insurance for her, I believe. Then there was the house and so forth. As a matter of fact, I expected Carableet to die intestate. Shortly before his illness, he gave me to understand that he'd taken no steps toward making his will. The document itself didn't come to light till some time after his death, actually. Really? How is that? I'm not sure I ought to tell you. You might think I'd been a little remiss. Not all firms are run as punctiliously as banks, you know. It was mislaid. Good gracious. By Messrs. Gloss, Posset and Gloss, solicitors? Uh, strictly between ourselves, yes. Do try to keep a charitable view of these people, Purbright. Until you know the worst, of course. These are highly respected Flaxborough citizens. Well, you never know. I may find the villains of the peace lurking in Shropshire. But it's fairly clear that Carableet, Will, Gloss and the undertaker Bradlaw were originally concerned together in some enterprise which, if I'm not mistaken, was not strictly legal. Carableet's widow may or may not have been a party to that. The chain of events that began with her husband's death now looks, to say the least, somewhat disquieting. A death, you remember, that passed off quickly with a respectable certificate, a quiet funeral, and not a single question asked. Perhaps it's time to start asking, sir. Oh, good Lord, Purbright. Not another murder. Well, I don't know. There seems to be a sudden abundance of motive. Four problems. A mysterious Shropshire retreat. A ghost with a beard, an unchallenged will worth 18,000, and an illegal source of income worth risking four or five professional careers. Solve one, the rest will follow. Uh -huh. Police work isn't what it was. Hello, Harpy. All right for you sitting in a car. I'm soaked. Yeah. <sighs> Any sign of Councillor Ledbetter yet? No. Bloody waste of time. Three hours I've spent outside this house today. Yeah. I've known a Flaxborough butcher would be leading a boring, regular, homely life. <laughs> hey. How much you bet me it's antiques after all? With standard eight quid deposits and weird offers like Japanese newels. Hmm. Never. What does Ledbetter's letter say he was after? Appointment for 7.15. Pewter Antique Tankard. You mean Antique Pewter Tankard? Do I? Yeah. Well, that's how it was in the advert. The army way. <laughs> yeah, I'm sad. That would be Tankard Antique Pewter. You're right. No, there's a funny thing.
What's the time, Harpy? Nearly seven, Sarge. Look, here comes Ledbetter. Oh, Tallyo. Stand by to go after him if he doesn't take his car. It's all right, he's making straight for it. Shut the heat on, Sarge, I'm frozen. Super Terrace. No signal, Sarge. Should we nick him? Shut. He's stopping. Get out and keep with him while I park this thing. Your clerk has just taken possession of a bundle of box letters, Mr. Gloss. May we assume the relevant adverts were placed by you or on your behalf? Oh, no, Inspector. No? No, I made a chance to find the counterfoil while I was sorting through some of the late Mr. Grill's papers today. In a professional capacity, you understand. Uh, you've no idea what the letters are about, I suppose. No idea at all. Here they are, in this drawer. They appear to be concerned with antiques. Sizable sums of money are involved. Perhaps you have an explanation. One or two conjectures, perhaps. My apologies for disturbing you so late, Mr. Gloss. Not at all. I was on the point of locking up. And I shall now have the pleasure of walking with you as far as the country club. <laughs> Poor Marcus. He's turning out to be quite a mystery, isn't he? No more than the next man, Mr. Gloss. He went in this one, Sarge. Yeah. The one with the brass plate. R.M. Hilliard, M.D. Right. In we go. Fine old houses, these. Yeah, have a look who's in the waiting room. <coughs> a bad leg, a pregnant lady, and one acne sufferer. But no lead bitter. Stay here and look ill. I'm going to explore upstairs. Without a warrant? You don't need a warrant to look at pewter and antique tankers. Oh. Evening? Uh, yeah. Excuse me. Oh, not that way, love. That's the ladies' cubicles. Next entrance on the left. Oh. Must mess up the system, eh? Hey. Mess up the system. Oh, I beg pardon. Is he not, isn't it? Uh, yes. Yes, it is. Yeah, what cubicle number are you? I'm, um, well, I'm not sure. Well, look there on the notice board. <laughs> Cheer up, Squire. Bit of treatment will do you a power of good. <laughs> yeah. oh. oh, excuse me, miss. Um, my mistake. Wrong cubicle. Perfect end to an awful day. How flax for us seems to have influenza. Rupert, I'm trying to talk to yes, you. Yes, I heard you, I heard you. The man per bright is breathing down our necks. All right. All right, we'll suspend the schedules for a couple of weeks if it makes you feel any better. 
that tomorrow's trip goes ahead as planned. I hope you know what you're doing. Yes, well, let's drink to that. Same again, please, John. Sure. What time are you leaving? Nab's bringing the van round at six. This really must be the last. My wife is waiting. Will you walk home with me? Oh, a scared Sassanac is a wonder to behold. <laughs> what was that girl wearing again? Or rather, um, what wasn't she wearing, eh, Sarge? <laughs> okay, okay, joke's over. She wasn't any antique at any rate. Not a pewter tanker, Japanese newel, or mahogany and beach sideboard in sight. Some sort of clinic. Private, mm. can't be national health. No waiting, regular appointment times pinned up. Well, that's that. I wonder what happened to Leadbitter. Funny his treatment should coincide with his antique appointment. Uh, mix the dates up, probably. What his trouble is? healthy enough. So did Mab's come to that. Mab's? Oh, she was the woman you saw on the stairs. <laughs> she looks in her face when she passed me in the hall. Poor old Mab's. Well, you used to meet her when I was on the beat down the Arbor District. Broad Street, you know. Oh, I know, yeah. Entertaining the Merchant Navy. Roaring trade during Ooh, the war. More knocking shops and telegraph poles down there at one time. Oh till Holy Harry Carableet became chairman of the watch committee. Hmm. Poor old Mabs. That her surname? Oh, no. Short for um, Margaret Abigail Beryl Shooter. Mabs, see? Everybody called her that. Comes of having your name read out in court too often. Yes. Sergeant, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am. <laughs> I don't believe it. Good old Sid. Bright pinky was, yeah, sir. All right, all right. And was your cubicle lady a superior antique lampstand or a Japanese antique mule? <laughs> well, she wasn't a uh, mahogany and beach sideboard, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody hell, I could kick myself. You'd be staring me in the face on that notice board. 715 E.L. Ernie Ledbitter. Yeah. P.A.T. spells Pat. Alias our friend Pewter Antique Tankard. What I don't understand is... Why does it have to be so complicated? Yes. Those arrangements could easily have been made over the phone or something. Yeah, it wouldn't have been so exciting, Harper. It's often the trimmings, you know, the peephole and password, that sort of thing. There's half the attraction for middle-aged men who dabble in vice. Hilliard Grill and Company knew their best customers would be the respectable married tradesmen and farmers, providing they reassured them with stringent or even melodramatic safeguards. Mm. You don't risk losing your reputation in a small community like this. Is that why Gwil was murdered, you reckon? A bad mistake if it was, because a whole series of reputations are at risk now, including Flaxborough. Harper, would you feel uh, like logging another hour's overtime? Uh, Mrs. Mabel Abigail Beryl Shooters. Exactly. She's probably relaxing after the evening shift. It'd be nice to be in a position to prefer charges tomorrow, and I'm very interested to know when and how the racket was started. Sir. Take the Hillman. Right, sir. Murder charges, is this, sir? No, one thing at a time, sir. Keeping a disorderly house. Very orderly, as a matter of fact. Yes, those cubicle things, were, were they an original part of the house? I don't think so. They look like conversions. Not brand new, but recent. Yeah. I expect that's Nab Bradlaw's building firm on the QT. Probably. Nab's no better than he should be. But a doctor. That's what sticks in my throat. Above his own surgery, too. Your feelings do you credit, sir. But I rather think breaking the Hippocratic Oath was only a beginning.
Well, here we are, Roddy. Home, sweet home. I'm obliged to you for escorting me. Much obliged. Well, we can't have you frightened, Mr. Gloss. <laughs> no. It's a hard frost tonight. Aye. Five to one, we'll have snow for Christmas. Look out, Roddy! Stand! You bastard! Drop! Drop it, you... Roddy? Roddy? You'll be better staying with friends, Mr. Gloss. The constable will take you. Everything all right, Sergeant? Uh, Yes, sir. Yes, she's all right, I think. Now, Doctor, you say you saw nothing of this assailant? No. Well, how big was he? Which way did he go? I tell you, I didn't see him. It was over in seconds. Roddy was dead by the time Mrs. Gloss and I got him into the house. What's the matter, Doctor? I had something of a shock. Hadn't you noticed? How do you account for the blood on your sleeve, sir? See if you can turn over a man with a heart wound and stay clean. It would be no use asking if you'd seen this before. Show him the knife, Sergeant. No, of course I haven't. Mm. Would you care to tell us the object of your meeting with Mr. Gloss at the country club? Liquor, relaxation, conversation. In that order. We achieved all three in moderation. Yes, I expect you had a busy surgery this evening, Doctor. My surgery is always busy. Disease is like crime. There is a constant concentration of it in society everywhere. Both will respond to treatment, though. Aye. To a strictly limited degree. Unfortunate, but true. You were doctor in attendance on the late Mr. Carabeet, were you not? I was. Is this uh, germane to your present inquiries, Inspector? Perhaps, I'm not sure. You signed his death certificate in respect of pneumonia and heart failure, that is so, Doctor? To the best of my recollection. And you have no reason, looking back now, to doubt the accuracy of your findings? None whatever. Now, are there any more questions I'd quite like to get home? Yes, of course, sir. But first, may I ask you, do you think Mr. Gloss had any enemies, sir? He was a solicitor. The profession does not attract drafts of the milk of human kindness. Do you know of anyone specifically who wished him harm? I can think of no one in particular. Well, good night, Dr. Hilliard, and thank you. You'll find transport waiting outside to take you home. Hmm. You've got a job to do, I suppose. Good night, Inspector. Oh, what a night, Sid. A brothel and a fatal stabbing all in two hours. The chief constable will never speak to me again. Well, you got someone to charge for both of them at any rate. Mm. No one's going to tell me you wouldn't know what the assailant looked like if there really was an assailant. There's street lamps all along the road. Bloke's a villain, stands out a mile. Mm, You're probably right. But that doesn't mean he murdered Gloss. His sleeve was wet with blood. I bet you anything you like, he did Gloss and Gwil. Yeah, well... In that case, we might not be very far wrong in wondering if he had a hand in another little matter earlier on. Harold Calibly. Huh. I wondered what you were getting at just now. Stroll on, I'll never trust another doctor again. But wait a minute, though. If he's responsible for that, the Merry Widow could be involved, too. Flaxborough 241. Yes, all right, I'll accept the charge. Darling? What are you doing so close to Flaxborough? Well, I don't understand. I thought we'd agreed that... What? But why shouldn't it be safe for me here? Darling, what's happened? I trust you. Yes, of course I trust you. Yes, all right. 
Maybe we could meet somewhere by accident. Like strangers, I mean. No, not now. It would look terribly suspicious. Tomorrow. Yes, let's sleep on it. Phone me tomorrow. Yes. I love you, too. Oh, God. All right, get in. What kept you, Bradlaw? It's only five minutes past six. Maybe it didn't come at all after you rang last night. Got no choice now, you fool. Will you take a swig? No, not for me. Got all your gear? Yes. Got yours? Yes. Let's get to work. My God, Purbright, I'm glad my retirement's coming up. To think that my wife was on the watch committee with Carableet when he was supposed to be clearing up those, you know, those places and the time. No doubt about it, I suppose. Uh, Mrs. Mabel Shute has made a very full and convincing statement, sir, which a number of her colleagues will support. The watch committee was a cover. Councillor Carableet merely tidied up Flaxborough's vice trade for his own profit and convenience. Damnable, damnable. And I'm not sure this scoundrel Hilliard isn't worse. Shouldn't they have arrested him by now? Well, he'll be here any minute, sir. Uh, Mrs. Popplewell, the magistrate. She's getting rather restless in there. Yes, I'm sorry to ask for a special court at this early hour, but I'm due in Shropshire at one. But, ah, here we are. Well, where's Hilliard? He wasn't at home, sir. What? What? Yeah, he won't be far away, Mr. Chubb. He went out before his cleaning woman arrived. Well, didn't you search at all? I went round to Bradlaw's place, sir. He's gone off somewhere, too. His housekeeper, or whatever she is, she told us Nub went out early in the van. Didn't say where or why. God, that's worrying. I should just think it is. I've got Mrs. Popplewell waiting in there, specially. I hope Hilliard hasn't come to any harm. Harm? Damn it, what am I going to tell Mrs. Popplewell? I don't get you, sir. Well, thinking about it last night, that blood on his sleeve came from a wound in his own arm. The knife was meant for him as well. He might have gashed himself to give that impression, sir. Well, in which case, he would have made no secret about it. Well, that means Bradlaw must be our man. On the face of it, yes. But damn it, you say he's missing too. What shall I say to Mrs. Popplewell? She'll think Flaxborough is falling apart. No, Bradlaw's not a footpath assassin. Whoever it was must have been exceptionally confident and tough. Doesn't sound like old Nub. And it kind of rules out Mrs. Carableet. Yeah, which reminds me, I have a train to catch. Excuse me, sir. My apologies to Mrs. Popperwell. I'll be back late tonight or early tomorrow, Sergeant. Put out a call for Hilliard and Nab. And uh, Nab's van. One moment, Inspector Purbright. Sir, I'm sure you know what you're doing. But with two related murders, and now possibly three, or even four, you see how I'm placed. I must ask you, arrest your murderer... All murderers within the next 36 hours, or I shall ask Scotland Yard to give me assistance. Oh, how anyone could live in a bloody wilderness like this? It has its advantages. That cottage, that's it. Oh, and very nicely set up, very nicely. I... Here, the last we drop is for you. 
How can you be sure that's the place? Because we found the call box and eliminated all the other possibilities. The garage door's open. Looks like there's no one in. Pull over into those trees up there and keep an eye on the road. Sound your horn if anyone comes. You can't just walk straight up to it. Might not be safe. I'll take care. But if no one's in, what's the point? I've come prepared for all eventualities. The time has passed for pretense. I'll take a chance and snoop around. Inspector Purbright? That's me. Ah, Inspector Gibbons, Shropshire County Police. Ah, very grateful for your help, Inspector. We've got a car to take you straight up to the Brink of Discovery Hotel, and, uh, good news, we've located your electrical shop in Ludlow. Marvellous. Do they remember selling any flex? Yes, last Saturday. A long length of heavy-duty lead is an unusual sale, apparently. But I'm afraid the customer was a complete stranger. Description? Vague. Big fellow with a beard. Any use? Hmm, maybe. What's this Brink of Discovery place like? Oh, not for the locals. Owner's ex-showbiz from north. Wife's a former beauty queen. Does either of them have a beard? A pair of smoothies in every sense. Well, it's what we call a gimmick in show business, like echo chambers and crimpy hair and walloping great fat chests and that. Well, the first thing you know is change the name. The bull this used to be. I'll give him bull, I thought. You want something classy and half slush like that'll go down with the intelligentsia out with one another's missuses. A cut above the Mr. and Mrs. Smith lark. I mean, something uh, that's... Well, talking of that lark, we're interested in a roundabout way in a lady called Mrs. Joan Carableet. She stayed here last Monday night, I believe. Oh, yes, Mr. C. She comes to us quite often. She was actually here last Monday night. Sat here in the bar to have gone one. Why, what's she doing here? She's not been... Uh... Oh, no, no. How often did she stay? Oh, once or twice a month, since last summer. And always on her own? Well? Well, put it this way. I mean, she was on her own when she was actually here, but she generally push off early in the evening and turn up again for breakfast. Uh, we were just a blind, I reckon, still. No skin off my and nose, you where know. where did she go? Oh, I never found out exactly. Used to take a taxi to, uh, what's it called? Something to do with woods. Uh, Woodside. Avery Woodside. Ah, I know the sub-postmistress there. Anything like a bit of scandal, she'll know about it. She's a real vocation. To the woods, then? To the woods. Almost back in civilization. Be home in time for a late dram at the club with luck. Ah, oh, come on, man. We're at the clear now, once and for all. The boys in blue will be busy and around for weeks to go, oh. you see. So we keep our heads down. Have you squared everything for tomorrow? Yes. And this is the last time. Third time unlucky with Inspector Bloody Purbright in the office. Car's still in the garage. Should be someone around. Do you uh, want to see this John Barnaby character on your own? No, you come on in. I'm not at all sure what I'm going to say to him anyway. Um, are you the John Barnaby who's been receiving regular visits from Mrs. Joan Cadableet of Flaxborough? I mean, <laughs> amongst others, quite a fella. And I've never known local gossip to be wrong about that sort of thing. Hello, door's open. Anyone at home? Hello there. May we come in? See if there's any sign of 
bearded Barnaby around the garage or garden. I'll just take a little peep inside. Hello? Anyone at home? Hello? Any sign of life outside? No. Place seems empty. Now, this side window here has been forced recently. There's a great tangle of heavy-duty flex in the garage. Yards and yards of it. Yeah, we're getting warmer. I suggest, having reason to suspect and all that, we now take a closer look at things, starting with the bedroom. Right. Looks like he had a bath or shower in a hurry. Everything chucked on the bed. What's that on the floor? Oh, it's a glass top or something. Go through these clothes, will you? I'll try the kitchen. You'll find anything? Nothing much in the clothes. Well, plenty of money and odds and ends. No papers or letters. Uh, no driving licence or name tag. No. Mm. Well, he had his cornflakes and coffee this morning, by the looks of it. Rinsed the dishes, all tidy. What made him strip down to his birthday suit so suddenly? Hello. What you got there? It's another of those little glass things. Oh, it's a stopper from a little glass container. You know, like those medical things. Files. Oh, yes. I'm beginning to wish we had a sample of that breakfast. Yes. Wait a minute. This spoon will do. What for? See if I can unscrew this waste pipe. Oh, yeah. See if you can find something I can hold underneath it. Right. Um... There's a jar. Right. Now then. Coming. Ah. Oh. <coughs> now then. What do you reckon that funny white gunge is? Something of which I fear Mr. John Barnaby has caught his death. Oh. Questions re-Shropshire. Who is John Barnaby? Was he part of the Carabit Empire at Flaxborough? Did he and Mrs. Carabit conspire to murder both Gwill and Gloss? And her husband too, perhaps? Has she now poisoned her lover? Answer, bring in Mrs. Carabit for questioning. Questions re-Flaxborough. If Gloss, Hilliard and Bradlaw are working together, why is Bradlaw the only one to need an alibi for the night of Will's death? What's so special about Nab, the undertaker? Answer, he's an undertaker with a van. He does the donkey work, from fixing up cubicles to boxing up coffins. He undertakes. Good morning. Morning, Ben. Morning, Ben. Mr. Bradlaw about? No, he's down at the crematorium. I tried to get in touch with him several times yesterday. Oh, don't I know it. He was out all day in a van. Here, Mr. Purbright, is it true Doc Hilliard has been arrested? You'll read all about it in the Flaxborough Citizen, Ben. Who told you? The missus was at the surgery this morning. Look, Ruth, uh, will Nab be back soon? Oh, I reckon so. He won't be in a mood for visitors, though. It's a family do. Family? Oh, sort of. His housekeeper's uncle. Died very unexpected. Local man? Anyone we know? I never met him. <laughs> Not while he was alive, any rate. Big, healthy-looking bloke with a beard. Oh, makes you wonder. Name of Barnaby. Barnaby? Come on, Sergeant. Here, what's up? 
Ea, what's up? We give thee hearty thanks for that it hath pleased thee to deliver <coughs> this our brother, John, out of the miseries of this sinful world, beseeching thee that it may please thee. Stop! Stop! I am a police officer! Stop! Really, yes. officer, this is disgraceful. Uh, excuse me, sir, excuse me. <laughs> the district coroner has authorised the post-mortem. You must stop everything. Hey, I didn't know the coroner. Shut up, Sid. Go on, Nub. Take a good look. It's your trade. Who is he? Him? He's John Barnaby. John Carably took up with him after her old man died. The bastard was... Uh, just a moment. Caution him, Sergeant. What, here in the morgue have a heart? You're not obliged to say anything in reply to questions, but what you do say may be taken down and given in evidence. Right, you were saying... The bastard. Or would you prefer to wait for your solicitor? <laughs> Lovely Gloss has been here already. Or had you forgotten? <laughs> Listen. Joan Carableet was her husband's secretary. She was in on our little sideline. The stupid bitch only goes and tells that bastard Barnaby everything. Names the lot. He was blackmailing the four of us, bleeding the whole thing white. We were off our rockers with the worry of it. Well, yes, you would be. That, that... Must have been why poor old Gwill did away with himself. He was driven to it. Oh, and was Gloss driven to it as well? No. No. Roddy was killed by that devil Barnaby in cold blood. Blackmailers don't usually kill their victims. Well, that's the sort he was, I tell you. Go on. Look, as Iliad, the doc's a sick man, you know. I couldn't do nothing with him once he got started. Listen, I didn't realise what I was letting myself in for. After Barnaby had been back at the cottage for a while, Iliad forced his way in again. I went with him. Barnaby was lying fast asleep half under the kitchen table. God knows what the doc has spiked his grub with. Well, we got him into the bedroom somehow. He was a hell of a wait. <laughs> Look, I thought we'd gone down there to frighten Barnaby off, that's all. Then before I knew what was happening, Iliad sticks a needle into him. What could I do? That was it, finished. Who signed the certificate? Iliad, of course. Referees? Scott, I think, and that other chap in Duke Street. The usual dotted line stuff. Oh, I wouldn't know about that. Sergeant Love, would you see if they're ready for us outside? Sure. Tell me now, why was it necessary for John Barnaby's body to be stripped before you brought him back in the van? Who, who said he was? I say, and I'll tell you why, because he travelled back in style. In a coffin you'd taken with you for that specific purpose. You knew damn well he was going to be murdered, Nab, didn't you? No, no. A little party, Inspector. What's this in aid of? I took the liberty of bringing Mrs. Carableet here in the hope she'd be able to help us in a formal matter of identification. A trifle closer, if you please, madam. These things are always a little disturbing, but I promise you there's nothing to frighten or revolt you. Just a little nearer. <gasps> oh! Oh, my God! Harold! Oh, oh, my darling! I... Oh, uh, no, madam. Oh, God, oh. she's fainted. Don't just stand there, Sid. She's heavy.
30 years on the force, and this is my first exhumation. The Flaxborough citizens are going to have a field day next week. Hardly a real exhumation, sir. No. The late Harold Carableet was later than we thought, eh? Oh, a very astute gentleman. He organised his own timely death, with a little assistance from Hilliard and Bradlaugh, and then went down to Shropshire and simply grew a beard. He must have fancied his position to be extremely strong. He'd avoided a likely spell of imprisonment. He had a firm hold, or so he thought, on his associates, none of whom would be likely to risk exposure. And his dear wife collected the insurance, the continuing proceeds from his posthumous rackets, and spent long weekends with him into the bargain. Coffin just about cleared for lifting, sir. And then the associates became greedy. Gloss forged that will in Gwill's favour, and they cleaned out Barnaby, or to give him his real name, Cadabit. And neither he nor his wife were in a position to do a thing about it, of course. Damnably unethical business, you know. Abominable. Quite. Now, our conspirators underestimated Carableet hopelessly. I mean, he had the nerve to come back to Flaxborough and harass them in person. Which accounts for poor old Mrs. Poole's obsessions. She even saw him that Monday fixing up the cable, and someone else saw him sluicing the front drive with water. I'm interested to know how Gwill was lured out there. Oh, they were all lured out, sir. Carableet arranged a meeting at Gwill's to discuss a settlement then phoned to say he'd hurt his leg and would be obliged if they'd come round to him. Well, Gwill was just unlucky enough to reach the gate first. And the others were lucky because the discharge blew the fuses at Carableet's house. Ponder soul. Two lads with screwdrivers on this side. I suppose his friends, if I may call them that, I suppose they placed Gwill's body under that pylon. Oh, yes, with the help of Bradlaw's van. Would have looked bad for them otherwise. And while they were up in the field, Carableet, alias Barnaby, shot away back to Shropshire in his car. His wife knew nothing about it, but he'd provided her with a precautionary alibi just in case. Not as perfect as his own, of course. He was officially dead. Yeah. Now, let's inspect the grisly remains. Uh, filled with sunbags, sir. Huh. And these. What? Uh, the ledgers of Canterbury and Spade, ship's brokers. Heavens above. Turned out a good, solid coffin, old nub, I'll give him that. Six feet under for six months, and it still looks scarcely used. In Coffin Scarcely Used by Colin Watson, the cast was Detective Inspector Purbright, Peter Jeffrey, Chief Constable Chubb, William Fox, Detective Sergeant Love, Sean Barrett, Detective Constable Harper, Michael Jenner, P.C. Wilkinson and House, Mark Straker, Rodney Gloss, Danny Schiller, Dr. Hilliard, Crawford Logan, Jonas Bradlaw, Mark Jones, Mrs. Carableet, Monica Gray, George Lintz, David Peart, Detective Inspector Gibbons and Vicar, John Strickland, Mrs. Poole, Hilda Schroeder, Mr. Smith, James Carey, Ben and hotel owner, Carey Francis. The play was directed by Jerry Jones.